Happy Easter. Have you ever seen an image, maybe a card or a picture or a Facebook meme of, of three crosses on a hill? One represents Jesus right in the center, and then the other cross on his right represents a criminal who was crucified with Jesus, and then the cross on the left represents another criminal cru crucified with Jesus. We don't know much about these two criminals. We don't know where they're from. We don't know what crime they committed. We don't know how old they are. We don't know for sure uh, why they're there. We don't know what crime was committed to, especially to deserve death. We do know, we do know that Jesus has an interaction with them both. One of the criminals looked at Jesus and hurled insults at him, said things like, hey, if you're really this Jesus guy, if you're really the Christ that they all say you are, why don't you save yourself and save me also? And the other criminal had a very simple, quiet, collective conversation with Jesus and, and said, hey, will you remember me when, when you enter into your kingdom? And Jesus spoke to the criminal who deserved death and said, one of the most remarkable, one of the most beautiful, one of the most grace-filled phrases in Christian history. He looked at him and he said, today you will be with me in paradise now here's the trick. Theologians have been debating what Jesus really meant by this for years. And uh, I stand before you today and tell you that I don't have the exact answer for you, but I do have a simple mind. And if I can't explain it to my fifth grader, I usually keep studying to understand it so that I can. And what I want to do today is break this down so that we might understand and be encouraged and moved. I have been praying for you. Our church leadership and our staff has been praying for you. And we believe it's by no accident when you have so many choices this morning to worship that you have chosen to worship with us. And I believe God wants to do something in you. I believe that he's working in your life. He works upstream in our lives and he wants to do something. And we love you and we are so excited that you are with us. I've been praying for those of you who are watching right now and who will watch that God would begin doing a work in you. Whether you've been a Christian for years or maybe this might be the day that you take a step toward Jesus. I believe God has something for all of us. Would you do me a favor, and at some point during our uh, service this morning, would you fill out the virtual communication card? It's just a form. There should be a link in the description, and there should be a link that will pop up in the chat here in a moment. Uh, but at some point this morning, would you fill out that virtual communication card? If you would like to give today, I'd invite you to give online. Uh, our office is still open 9 to noon, Monday through Thursday. You could drop it off if you'd like. The last thing I want to just say before we dig into this is this. Uh, we have four or five audiovisual people here this morning, and they have been faithful, so faithful, at making sure that we could live stream with you uh, every single week since this COVID-19 shelter-in-place order has come down, and they have been faithful. Would you just do a shout-out for them as they serve so faithfully you at home? I was thinking of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. This is what it says. Let us give thanks to the God and our Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I like how the Good News translation puts it. Because of his great mercy, he gave us new life by raising Jesus from death. 
That's why we gather this morning. That's why we're here celebrating. That's why we call it Easter Sunday. Jesus rose from the dead and he's given us new life. As we dig in, I want to ask you a question. Here's the question I want to ask you. And I want you to participate with me. I want you at home, maybe even grab a pen or or a piece of paper and write down a particular number here in a moment. This is what I want you to do. On a scale of one, one being the lowest and 100, 100 being the highest, I want you to rate right now how good of a person you are. Write that down. On a scale of 1 to 100, how good are you? Now now listen, if you're thinking about 100, don't do that, all right? Because really Jesus is the only one who can be 100. But I want you to write down right now, I want you to write down a number, and I want that number to represent how good of a person you are. If we were gathered here today in a crowd, all of a sudden what you would do is you'd begin uh, comparing yourself to other people around you. You'd start looking around and thinking, well, I'm not quite as bad as that person, but I'm certainly better than that one. Well, here's the deal. Maybe there's somebody in your living room right now, and uh, you're comparing yourself to them. You're thinking, well, they're really probably like a 57, so surely I'm a 70. This is what comparison does. When we compare ourselves to others, we will either feel better about ourselves, or we will feel worse about ourselves. And if we compare ourselves to someone that you think is not such a good person, all of a sudden we're going to feel really good about ourselves. But if you compare yourself to somebody who's a really great person, you're probably going to feel worse than you do. But on a scale of 1 to 10, right now, on a scale of 1 to 10, write it down. How good of a person are you? And what I want to do is I want to look at two people who were not good. Let me say that again. There were two people who were not good, and they were hanging next to Jesus, one on his right, one on his left, while he was dying on the cross. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 23, verse 32. We've been studying these phrases of Jesus, these red-letter phrases, and we're going to do that today also. Jesus on the cross, listen to this, Luke chapter 23, verse 32, says, Two others, who were criminals, were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right, one on his left. And so let's dive into this, right? These two criminals were not good people. They were probably considered the lowest of the low when it comes to society in their day. The lowest of the lows. How do I know that? Well, because in the first century, crucifixion was one of many different ways to execute a person. Somebody who committed a crime, there were were many ways to execute a person, but interestingly, crucifixion was one of the most expensive ways to crucify somebody because it usually required at least four soldiers, one centurion, and could last for days. Days, And so it was expensive. It was, it was reserved, crucifixion was reserved for the worst of the criminals. And it was used to publicly humiliate you as a person, as a criminal. And it was also used to bring incredibly excruciating, deep pain into your life. So it was used to humiliate you and to torture you. And usually Romans would crucify Jewish slaves and others for their crime. Sometimes they would crucify people if they just didn't like you, the type of person that you were. 
So for Jesus to be crucified was a bold statement declaring that he was more like a slave than he was a king in their eyes. And so Jesus, he is insulted and he's hanging on the cross and he's hanging between these two other criminals on the cross and we don't know what these criminals did. We can only assume that what they did must have been pretty bad. Likely they were a slave who committed a crime against their owners or their masters, but they are the worst of the worst next to Jesus. And Jesus, Jesus' mission on earth to bring peace and repentance and reconciliation is now coming to a close. And we see on this cross, in this moment between two criminals, this, this moment creates contrast between these two criminals. Both of these criminals deserve to be crucified. Both of them do. But not Jesus. Not Jesus. Jesus didn't deserve to be crucified. Crucifixion was reserved for the worst, for the worst. And Jesus, he's innocent. His crime is based on mockery where they are making fun of him for being king of the Jews. And when we dig into this text, it is so important for us to understand one important element, and it's this. God is the main character here. God is the main character. And the two criminals represent humanity, all of humanity who have to make a choice. Let's continue on in Luke chapter 23, verse 39. It says, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Then save yourself and save us. But the other criminal rebuked that criminal, saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man, Jesus, he has done nothing wrong. And he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, here are your red letters right here, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Today you will be with me in paradise. And I told you, we have to simplify this phrase today because the moment on this cross, this moment on the cross, illustrates one of the most important truths and it corrects one of the biggest misunderstandings that we have in the world today. It just exposes the lie. And the lie is this, that most people believe and most people understand that if they are just good people, then we can get to heaven. We're not sure how good, but a lot of people believe today, I'm not as bad as those people, so surely God will let me into heaven. I hope I'm good enough. I hope I've done enough good stuff so that God will let me in. But let me be very clear to you, because Jesus' words right here on the cross, these red-letter phrases, tell us perfectly that good people don't go to heaven. Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. 
We have to understand that because this is the truth. The truth is good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. And this exposes the lie where we believe if I just try hard enough, if I just do good enough, if I'm just a good person, then I can go to heaven. There is only one who can forgive. Forgiven people go to heaven. And there's only one who can actually forgive us. Jesus himself in John chapter 14 verse 6 says, says, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have also known my Father. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. You have seen him. And so as I look at this and as I understand this and as I wrap my head around what is Jesus doing here on the cross, there's a bunch that we could talk about. We could talk about that, that Jesus hasn't left the earth yet and, and, and literally paradise would have been this place where, where Jesus would have gone. We could dig all into some of the semantics of the passage. But what I want to do is I want to look at some lessons from the criminals, particularly the criminal who made the right choice. There's some lessons here for us to see. We get to look at this forgiven criminal and we get to observe a couple of lessons and apply them to our lives. Here's the first lesson. One of the criminals admits his wrong. In verse 41, he says, I've sinned. I, I'm wrong. Then he speaks to the other criminal and he says, listen, we're guilty. We are the ones who committed the crimes. We're the ones who deserve death, but not that one. And so it's really interesting because I don't know about you, but sometimes I struggle to say, I'm wrong. Man, I really blew it. I messed up. I, I don't know if you know this or not, but in our culture today, it's not really um, a popular thing to say, hey, I'm wrong. I messed up. And instead, what we like to do is we like to compare ourselves to other people. Well, I messed up, but I didn't mess up as bad as they messed up. Or we, or we do something wrong and we start to cover it up and we start to make excuses for it. And well, it was somebody else's fault. We don't really typically like to admit when we're wrong. We say things, well, I'm not perfect. Do you expect me to be perfect? Or we say things like, well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so and so-and-so. And, so -and, -so. and when we compare ourselves, it's really easy to rank ourselves above other people and, and determine that we might be better than other people. We always hope we're good enough. We always hope we never mess up bad enough. And then we prove ourselves if we are or if we're not. But here's what's interesting. When we compare ourselves to Jesus, the one and only 100%, suddenly we realize we're not as good as we thought we were. And yet we have people convinced. Maybe we even have ourselves convinced. I'm pretty good. I'm not a bad person. I'm better than most people. I hope I'm good enough. Here, here's some questions I think are important to ask. I first heard this when I read a book from Dallas Willard, but he said, he said, let's ask ourselves a few questions. I think Ray Comfort always also does this, but he says, here's the question. Raise your hand at home if you've ever told a lie. Have you ever told a lie? So a person who tells a lie is called a liar, right? And so if you've ever told a lie, 
you are a... How many of you struggled to say that at home because all of a sudden we have to admit that we are, are wrong, right? How many of you have ever stolen anything before? Like you've taken something that wasn't yours and you stole it. And sure, maybe you were five years old, right? Maybe you were 10 years old. Maybe this was years ago, but have you ever stolen anything? A person who steals something is a thief, is a thief, right? Now, let's, let's go here, right? Don't raise your hand at home, but have you ever had a lustful thought? Have you ever had a lustful thought into your mind? Because Jesus said, even if you think, then you are an adulterer. And if you've ever had a lustful thought, then, then what we are is we are an adulterer. Have you ever put anything before God? Have you ever, has God ever kind of dropped down lower on the priority list in your life? In the Bible, if, if we put anything before God, then we are an idolater. And so maybe you're sitting at home right now and you're listening to me and, and you're thinking, man, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. I've got a lot of good stuff. When I compare myself to my neighbors, man, I'm a good person. But then we have to ask ourselves, have I ever told a lie? If I've told a lie, I'm a liar. If I've ever stolen anything, I'm a thief. If I've ever had a lustful thought in my mind, then I'm, a, I'm an adulterer. If I've, ever, if I've ever put God second or third or fourth or, or way down at the bottom of the priority list, then I have idols and I am an idolater. And if you've ever done these things, and most people have, then we are lying, thieving, adulterous idolaters who need a savior. And when we compare ourselves to the standard of God, all of a sudden we don't feel so good no matter what number we gave ourselves when I asked the question. Listen to what James says. James makes it so clear. He says, for whoever keeps the whole law, all of the law, the whole law, but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it, of all of it. If you've ever done one thing wrong, just one wrong thing ever before, we are guilty. And the Bible teaches that our sin separates us from God. Whether you gave yourself an 18, a 37, a 54, a 76, a 92, maybe you sat at home and you thought, you know what, I'm not quite Jesus, so I'll give myself a 99.99%. And guess what? We still fall short. We still fall short. And the one criminal realized that he deserved the punishment, that he deserved the death, that he should have been there. But Jesus, clearly an innocent man who had been made fun of for being kings of the Jews, was innocent. Another lesson that we learn from the criminal, not only does he admit his wrong, but he is somebody who asks for help also pretty unpopular for us to do. Don't miss this because both criminals, they are guilty. Both are in close proximity to Jesus. Both saw and heard what was happening for those six hours. Both of them were in severe pain. Both of them were dying. Both of them needed forgiveness. Both asked Jesus for something and one recognized his need and asked for help and the other one did not. And in our culture, we don't necessarily believe in God sometimes until we need help. 
And when it comes to God, people, people are not sure if God really exists or not. Maybe you're even listening, and, and you're not for sure if God exists or not. But I'll guarantee you this, more people have talked to God the last three or four weeks than they have probably in a long time. Because in our need, we cry out. And we'll say things like this, God, I don't even know if you're there, but if you are there, will you help us? We'll cry out to a God that, that sometimes we don't even believe in. When trouble comes, people certainly cry out to God and ask for help. And the first criminal says, Jesus, if you're really Jesus, if you're really the guy who you say you were, then save yourself and save me also. He wants life back on earth. That's what he's asking for. He's in a predicament, and he just wants to continue life as he had continued life. And he looks at Jesus and thinks, man, I don't believe in the guy. As a matter of fact, he's mocking him as much as the rest of the crowd is. I don't believe in the guy, but guess what? I'm gonna cry out to him because if he is Jesus, he can save himself and he can save me too. And we do that sometimes. Sometimes we don't even put our full belief in him and we cry out and we say, God, if you're really God, make my life better. Give me that raise. Help me date that person. Get me the promotion. Help me buy this. Help me do that. We cry out to God in those moments where we feel like we need him. But the other criminal, he recognized his need in a very different way. And the criminal on his right rebukes the other criminal. And says, hey, we deserve to be where we're at. But Jesus, he doesn't deserve that. And then he cries out and he says, Jesus, wherever you're going, whatever you're doing, remember me. Remember me. The criminal understood no matter what, no matter how good he thought he might have been. The criminal reminds me. That no matter how good I think I am, Jesus always has to make up the difference. Romans chapter 3 verse 20 says this, For by works of the law no human being will, being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin, but now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and be the justifier of the one, of the one, who has faith in Jesus. See, we have to face the reality. We have to face the reality that every single one of us, every single one of us are either the criminal on his right or the criminal on his left. I am one of the criminals. You are one of the criminals. We are one or the other one. There are those who are watching right now, right now. Maybe you're listening to this, right? And you're hearing the same thing. And some of you, you sense the movement of God in your lives. 
Your eyes are open, your heart is open, and spiritually you are open and you're calling out to Jesus because you realize, you realize how perfect and how incredibly awesome Jesus was to die on the cross that day. And you know what? You will begin and you will continue to let Jesus forgive you. You will let Jesus change your life. You will let God transform you. But there's also people, you're hearing the same thing that I'm saying. The same exact thing. And the first thing on your mind is how long is this going to last? And you're thinking right now, what's for lunch? You're thinking about all the things you would have done had the circumstances been different. You've heard the same message. You know what Easter's all about. And some of us, we're open And we're saying, God, do what you do in my life. Work things out. Change me. Transform me. Make me more like your son. And while that's happening, in the exact same message that's being delivered, there are other people who are sitting there thinking, you know what? God's my good luck charm. I call out when I need him. I'll reach out when when I feel like, you know, We're in desperate situations. See, this text has been so convoluted and confused through the years by all of the doctrinal arguments. And I believe, I believe as we read these red letters of Jesus, this is less about salvation and more about my choice to follow Jesus or not. See, both of the criminals, they had the same need and they had the exact same opportunity And one was transformed, and one leaves exactly the same. You and I are one of these two criminals. And it doesn't matter what your number is. It doesn't matter how good you are. We have to make the choice. The criminal on his left had impressive passion. He joined the religious leaders, and he mocked Jesus and he said, come on, save yourself. He, he imitated the mockery of the religious elite. For a moment in time, the slave who had been a criminal sentenced to death was just like the religious leaders in the crowd. They reject Jesus. They reject him as God's one and only son. They reject Jesus, the Messiah of the universe. And he does ask Jesus for help. But he asked Jesus for help just to return to earth and save his life so he can go back to the way things used to be. The other criminal, he was impressive too. But he didn't have impressive passion. He had impressive reason and he had impressive faith. And he defied the crowds. He was a criminal. He couldn't go anywhere. He was bound up. He couldn't run. He couldn't do anything. He was there, but he defied the crowds. The crowds who were there mocking Jesus, he defied the crowds, and he puts his faith in Jesus, and he asks to be where Jesus is. Because understand this, where Jesus is, is paradise. Where Jesus is, is always paradise. And because of what Jesus did, his death and his resurrection, no matter what your number is, Jesus begins to make up the difference. And what Jesus has done is he's, he's flipped kingship. He celebrated. He, he offered peace. He offered hope. 
He warned people of the coming judgment. And all the self-righteous, all the wrong people make Jesus king in mockery. And we get to make the choice today. Are we going to make Jesus king of our souls and of our lives? Are we going to make Jesus king in mockery? See, the criminal who admits he is wrong and the criminal who asks for help is on the cross with spikes through his wrists and his feet. And though he was fighting for every breath and though his life was slipping away right out of his body, he saw something that the other criminal missed. And when he looked at Jesus, something started to change his life. When he looked to Jesus, something began to move in him. And what he did is he started to draw closer to Jesus. And I will never forget, I will never forget when I began looking toward Jesus and I began to experience in my own life the changes that he was about to make. Maybe, maybe you remember when you started looking to Jesus and he started to get into that crawl space, into that mess of your life and he started to sort things out and he started to change things and and your life began to transform and all of a sudden what I realize is I have something in common with the criminals. Maybe watching the way Jesus endured the senseless beatings and the flogging and the torture and the insult without striking back once. Maybe maybe it was when Jesus hung on the cross And Jesus looked towards heaven and he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Maybe it's when the sun went down in the middle of the day and the sky went dark. Maybe it could have been the moment when Jesus just simply was able to get enough strength to glance over to the criminal on the cross and look him in the eye with his unconditional love and care and compassion. Maybe it was all the stories that the criminal had heard about Jesus befriending sinners and healing the sick. I don't know for sure what changed in the heart of the criminal on his right. But I know he looked at Jesus and his life started to transform. And all I know for sure, all I know for sure, is where Jesus is, it is paradise. And you get to make a decision. Am I going to admit my wrong? Am I going to ask for help? Am I going to acknowledge that I'm one of these two criminals? Or am I going to fight for my life here Am I going to call out to God when I need something? Am I going to call in a favor and acknowledge that he might exist so that things might go my way? That's the decision that we get to make today. And maybe you're this guy. Pursue Jesus. Pursue Jesus. 
If you want to know what it looks like to put your faith in Jesus, will you reach out to me this week? Reach out to Pastor Craig. You can email us at info at mvcclive.com. Email us, call us. Let's talk about what it looks like to really truly make Jesus the Lord of your life, the King of your life, not just now, but forever. Maybe you're the other guy. And you're sitting at home right now and you're thinking, surely he's almost done. What's for lunch? What we would have normally been doing would have been fill in the blank. I challenge you to do this. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. I don't know what the opposite of paradise is. But I don't think it's good. For me... I want Jesus. I want Jesus. I want to become more like Jesus. I want to pursue Jesus more every single day of my life. Why? Because where Jesus is, is paradise. Man, thanks, Tom, for that. Hey, let's, uh, if you're with folks, gather around. And let's uh, consider those things as we come to prayer. would encourage you to take some time today, fill out that uh, electronic communication card. Let us know your prayer requests. Uh, share with us those things. But let's take uh, some of those thoughts this morning and let's, let's go to God in prayer. God, I am grateful that on this day we celebrate a risen Jesus. On this day, Jesus is, is not for us any longer on the cross. But God did some incredible things, even in the midst of that, that we recognize this morning. God, I am thankful as we come to you uh, that uh, we come with a risen Savior who has conquered death, who has conquered the grave, who has gone before us and leads the way for us. God, I'm with Tom as, as, as we are here today. I want Jesus, and I want more of him, and I want to be like him, and I want to follow him uh, to paradise and eternity. And I am grateful that you have given us the opportunity to live life with that hope. God, as we come with that hope and that reality, even in the midst of a season of uncertainty, in the midst of a season where um, and life has been on pause that has been interrupted, God, I am thankful that we can face even seasons like this with that great hope. God, this morning, help us to lay down at your feet the things that would hinder us from living with that reality and with that hope. God, if there are things that we habitually pick up and try and own that are not ours, God, this morning, help us to set those down to leave those at your feet. Those are the things that rob us from the peace that you want to provide for us, that only you can give. So God, this morning, we lay down our fears. God, this morning, we lay down the uncertainty. God, this morning, we lay down our desire to try and fix. And we just come to you and say, we want to be with you. 
And I want to let go of the things that keep us from relationship with you, from trusting you, leaning on you. God, as Tom mentioned earlier, there are some things that uh, we do in our lives that uh, keep us weighed down. Man, if we are caught in the midst of being any of those things, a liar, a thief, God, an adulterer, man, the list could go on and on and on. God, give us the courage today to name that in our heart, to be real with that. Allow you to cleanse us of that, to set that down, and to be free. God, on this Easter Sunday, I am grateful that we gather. Though we are not in the same room, we are tied together by your Spirit, and I am grateful for that. And I join the saints on the other side of the camera, the saints around the world, to say thank you, Jesus not only for dying, but God, thank you for resurrection and hope and eternal life. It's his name we pray. Amen. And this morning, uh, on this Easter Sunday, as we come to communion, um, I wanted to go back, and I wanted to talk this morning um, historically and then in the current day in Jesus' age. We read about in the Bible there is two times that special people get passed over. The first time that people are passed over is in Egypt. and They're passed over by the angel of death. The way that they get passed over is, is by a simple meal by the letting of blood on, on the doorposts of their home. And that meal is celebrated for thousands of years until Jesus changes that very meal on that Thursday night. And he talks about death being passed over and he implements a different kind of meal, a meal that thousands of years later we celebrate. We celebrate here together this morning. Both of them have a common couple of elements. The first one is, is bread, unleavened bread, bread ready for travel, bread simple. So this morning we, we come together and, and we talk about bread. And, and Jesus says, I am bread. Nah not of water and oil and flour. It says, I am bread that gives life a different kind of life than flour bread gives. So he says, break the bread and take it in remembrance that I am bread. So this morning, whatever you have, let us... Take the bread of life. Jesus, I'm grateful that 
You give us eternity by your, by your very presence, by your very being, by going ahead of us. Thank you for offering yourself in our place so that we might have life. Then he grabbed to come for redemption. He said, uh, my blood is given, spilled out on your behalf. And because of Jesus, we are redeemed and we drink in gratefulness for redemption. God, I'm grateful for weekly time to stop and to remember that your love is so great for us, your desire to be with us and be a relationship would drive your son to give of himself on our behalf. Thank you, Jesus, for being a servant, for being a sacrifice, for being life. In your name we pray. Amen. And let's just end our time together today, again from the front rooms of our worship team. Let's worship. Fill out your communication card. Continue to be with us for a few more minutes. Have a happy Easter.